Blog Talk Radio. Abandon the nine. I hope not. not. I truly, 
I truly hope not. I well, truly, it doesn't have a button anymore. <laughs> they got rid of the button. You know, the big old button that's on the iPhone, that's gone. So they're wow, doing something wow. different. <laughs> so everything's going to be very soft buttons. I'm scared of that because, you know, I always think you need one button just in case, you know, and if your screen breaks, what do you do then, you know? But um, exactly, they, they, you know, they, <laughs> so they come out with this X, and they got the i8 and the 8 Plus, and they showed part of their new facility over in um, Cupertino. Wow, it's like a big giant Frisbee, you know, and they're over there, and you almost feel like you were in Star Trek, you know, and they have this huge model. It's funny, Joe, because they have this model of this white model that's playing, and the only way you can look at the complex they have a small downscale version of it in this glass, right? But you have to look at it through your iPad, and then you can see all the details. But you can't, when you're looking at the glass, all you see is this big circle. It's like a white donut, you know? And um, basically oh, wow. it's amazing that, you know, yeah, then, but when you look through this, your iPad, you can see the windows, and the, you can, it shows you all this um, virtual, like a virtual type of experience where you can enjoy to see how they built the thing. So that was that's so excited about that. You know, it's their 10th anniversary from the first iPhone in 2007, and they just had a ball over here. And so I just wanted to talk about that in the news. That was some great news. And I, I don't know. Are you going to buy one of these things or are you going to wait? You know, you know, you're always doing different things. I'm going to wait and see what the judge is, you know, the judgment is out on that because, you know, when they first come out, you want to get all the kinks out, you know, and see how that goes. Uh Audience, we're just waiting for Shateska to come off of one other meeting, and he'll be with us shortly. So, yeah, getting back to, you know, the iPhone X is really amazing. I didn't – I thought they did a pretty good job with the 7 Plus, you know, but I think it was mm-hmm. still on its way before we get to, you know, that ultimate. Do you think um, artificial intelligence – did they say anything about that, Jay, on the um, – about the phone? They did say a little bit about that. Um, it, they they, they kind of talked about, um, tr- I think they were talking about trying to do a 360. They talked about some artificial intelligence, but they also talked about this 360 camera that you can go and kind of look at the, your whole surroundings. So, and they did kind of talk about some holographic type of things going on. They They really, you know, Apple is always secretive, so you don't really know what they're doing, you know. They kind of they speak and about the, it and they don't. Ab- <laughs> absolutely. And the technology is always, I find that Apple, and, and, and I think this is a, their way that they stay in the game, is while they offer, they try to offer the newest technology, but they always just take a little step behind, which I think is what helps them because they watch what's going on around them. And I believe their strategy is to watch what's going on around them over the next year. And they open they offer people just just enough. Maybe I'll give you eighty percent of the newest technology and then hold twenty percent back to see how the framework, you know, of technology and innovation is going to work over the next year to perfect it. And then they give you the perfected base of the technology where they're not behind, but at the same time they're not one hundred percent there so that if they want to you know, move up in what they're doing, they can. So as an example, their camera. Their camera, I find, is second to none. But who's giving them a run for their money, believe it or not, is the Samsung 8. And that's been out for a while. And the picture quality is amazing. 
Yeah, that's a, you know, and that's that's probably the reason why they went directly to the iPhone X and they skipped the nine because they're having that competition because you know like only uh, you know you can't they can't pre-order the X until the eight and the eight plus comes out. But um, that seems like uh, I can see them having Samsung giving them a run for the money because I can see why they're trying to show their ten and skip the nine. They're, they're already bypassing. So that, that's a, that's amazing. Um, these phones are thousand dollar phones, Gail. Um, eleven hundred and fifty bucks for the two fifty six gigabyte model. Jeez. <laughs> well, and, and I think the other one, if I'm not mistaken, the sixty four model is something like thirteen hundred, isn't it? Oh, jeez. <laughs> right. So what? What we're gonna? Well, you know, Jay, would you continue to give our audience the news? while we bring on Chitesca. So I'm just going to step off, audience, while we bring on Chitesca Martinez and Lila June. Would you do that for us, Jay? Oh, yes, I will. Well, you know, also, if we're going into the music side of things, you know, we always look on our show uh, at the music side of things, and um, Solan has a brand-new hairstyle. You know? Now, we saw her earlier, and she had this beautiful, curly, kind of natural. It was beautiful. And so now she didn't cut Lord B, she didn't cut all her hair off. And, <laughs> and it's beautiful still. She has kind of this short um, uh, hairstyle. It's beautiful. Um, she's showing uh, her her features and her eyes. And I like it too. But, you know, everybody's saying, whoa, you're changing your hairstyle every three or four months. Um, she, you know, she, she wore extra long braids, you know, at first, you know. And so now um, her hair is just it's like an evolution. So only time will tell what's next with her hairstyle. But if you uh, – we have all this stuff on our site. You can go see some, some of her hairstyles and stuff. And it's just, it's just great that she's being natural, you know, um, and she's not putting a whole bunch of stuff in her hair. She's just being herself, you know. So you guys get a chance. Um, check out her new hairstyle because it's, it's the talk of the town right now. Um, it's, it's really beautiful. So that pretty much um, concludes um, our news uh, for today and our topics for our news today. And I just wanted to say that um, we have a very good show in store for everybody today. So we're going to just run into this uh, segment of our show in a moment. We're just waiting for our guests, and they should be on shortly. And uh, we wanted to tell you also that uh, I am an avid uh, musical lover and I love what's going on with the music and I'm glad that a lot of the musicians are supporting all the hurricane efforts in both of our states and I urge everybody out there to be very supportive. Um, I have friends down in Houston. They just have lost everything. And so we on our station, we always like to give help and a and support to all of the people that are going through these horrific things in the communities. Um, so please support uh, all the efforts for a hurricane, for the hurricane victims in Texas and in Florida. We want to let you guys know that again. Because every little bit helps. And even if you just write little blogs on the Internet or things that you could say to support them, it really helps and it brings up people's self-esteem. And we want to let you guys know that please, please uh, don't forget that um, some people don't have anything right now. So, you know, share, you know, share. And that's what this was about. We all have to look out, look out for each other. That's the, that's the way of the world, you know. So um, 
and he, he, so yeah, so I'm still waiting for my um, co-host to come back, um, and we'll still be patient for our, our guests. Um, we have a very good uh, show today in store for everybody, so um, just zoom in and hang in and, and listen in. I was going to share some other news with you guys, um, some other music news. Um, um, in the R&B side of things, um, we have um, Snoop Dogg, of course, um, is just uh, out there <laughs> working with uh, some of the sports figures. Um, one thing he's doing, he's working with uh, Colin Kaepernick on ESPN, and he's supporting him and trying to see if, then telling him, you should keep fighting your fight and keep your head up. So um, he's working with him, and um, that's what's going on in that that segment of the music business. Um, And also, as far as, as far as Mr. Logan is, is concerned, um, I wanted to share with you guys, um, if you get a chance to check out my beautiful Sunrider album, which is out now and available for you guys to hear, and you can hear it for free. Um, you can hear it on um, iTunes or Amazon.com. Check that out. Um, also, you can also check out the video on YouTube morning. So if you get time, please check that out. Um, well, what I wanted to do, too, is I wanted to also, um, I'm wondering if all of you guys out there are excited as much as I am about this iPhone. I'm going back to the iPhone because I want one. Well, we do have to go back to the iPhone, Jay. Jay, uh, To the audience members, we are just waiting for them to come on. We do apologize to you for the wait, but we'll continue to get back into the technology of things. Um, So, you know, Jay, I think artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence will be be added most definitely to to the areas of the iPhone. It is one of the most, uh, it, it's really what's out now. My only, consider, my only concern about uh, the, um, the situation is how, what do we do from here? What directions do we move in from here with technology? How do we move with technology with things like the iPhone, the S8? What does this mean for us? What exactly is, you know, is the iPhone going to become the mini computer? Will we need our computers anymore? Will they even bother to sell MacBook Pros? What does this mean for education? You know what I mean? Like, what are the next steps? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you say that because I, I, they got a challenge because, you know, with these phones getting more powerful and stronger, these other components, the, the iBooks, the iMac, all those things are going to take a back seat. You got because you now you can carry 
an iPro in your back pocket, which is kind of scary. And then when they started the hologram technology, when it starts, you won't need a screen because the screen will be right in front of your face. So this is very scary for a lot of other companies that just make, like HP, they just make uh, laptops and, you know, desktops. What are these other companies going to do? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, facial recognition, now the phone knows it's you. But, you know, one thing about, you know, this, uh, you know, this, this artificial intelligence, I was talking to a guy, he says, uh, artificial intelligence, they don't know what a string can do. They don't know if the string could push or pull. They don't know the difference. This is no certain things. Artificial intelligence they can't they can't uh, make spare the moment decisions. So until they can conquer that, we're going to still have humans doing things because certain things that it doesn't know. It doesn't know um, that humans do. You know, they don't know if water is wet. It doesn't know. You know water is water, but it so. Wow. We're going to be around, but a lot of jobs are going to be gone. You know, like automobile uh, jobs are going to be all pretty much robotic. A lot of jobs that robots can do coming in the future. So the only jobs that are really going to be there are pretty much intellectual data jobs, maybe janitorial jobs, things to clean up because, you know, as far as uh, chemical waste and stuff like that. So people get ready for this new change because you need to educate your, your young people about what's going to be less and how they're going to make money in this new technology world. Things are going to be... Well, you know, that's just... Technology. It's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. It's going to be quite interesting mm-hmm. because I think it's that the young people do know what's going to be out here with artificial intelligence. I think it's going to be the people right now who are in their 20s, those young people, 30s, those young people. You know, we're not far from that. We're not old, but... We're saying it in that way because people like you and I are already into this. We, we know what's going to be. We know what life is going to be like. I think it's that most people do not know what to expect and, and how to work from here with something that's going to actually be directing you and telling you what to do. Elon Tusk is completely against this, this, the technology. He's warned people against it. And which is interesting, um, he's the head of Tesla, whereas the people for uh, Facebook are completely embracing it and pushing it. So the question will be, what is the best direction for all of us to go in? So without further ado, we've learned that there was a misunderstanding, and we have Shateska coming in right now, so I'm excited. Jay, are you ready to bring Shateska on? Yes, I am. Yo. Chitaska, how are you? I'm doing good. Sorry about the confusion. No problem. We so we know that you had it as mountain mountain standard time instead of EFT, I'm but glad, that's I'm, fine. We have you here. And we're so I'm glad, glad that you're on. Yes, I'm glad Likewise, you can make it too. So Chitaska, you remember Jay? Of course. Jay Logan. Hey Chitaska. How you doing? How you doing? Great, Good. great to have you. Busy, busy on the grind. Yeah, I know you're on the grind. Give it up for the grind. So we can. <laughs> so, so we're gonna get right into this, Shatuska. Is that okay with you? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it, Shatuska. 
You've been doing this since you could be, almost walk. You've been in climate. You've been in youth. Uh, as a youth person, you're going to be 17 years old. No, I'm sorry, you are 17 years old, sir. You're 17 years mm-hmm. old now. You've been doing this since you could talk, walk, or anything. You've combined music successfully. You've combined climate successfully. You have talked to 100 leaders or more. I mean, you are doing it, okay? Tell us, with, this, with your new book out, We Rise, and with your new song out, what is it that you're really trying to get across to humanity at large? Okay. Wow. <laughs> Looking at the big picture, for real. Um, yeah, as you said, I mean, I've been in it for, for quite some time now. Um, there's been everything from the music to the book to, to, to the organization, the Earth Guardians, the movement. Um, pretty much, I guess, I guess the big picture of what I'm trying to promote is showing the world that regardless of who we are, where we come from, the color of our skin, our age, um, the things that divide us, we have amazing amounts of power to be resilient as a human species and not rely on our politicians and our, our leaders to, to define our future. Um, you know, this is really us uh, rebelling, kind of taking back the power in a way that is, is empowering young people, the younger generation, to take leadership and leading everyone else towards the world that we, we believe in. That means food justice. That means climate justice. That means treaty justice. Um, really seeing it through, through the eyes and the lens of intersectionality, understanding how Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ and climate justice are all connected. So for me, it's, it's really spreading that message of what kind of world do we want to create amongst the crisis. And part of creating the new world is helping the current world understand what the problems are. So, yeah, we do got to talk about the problem a lot, but all of it is with the focus of bringing it towards the solutions we want to create. And I've been incredibly blessed to have the platform, you know, where my voice is being heard and um, now creating the actuality of, of, of the communities and the world and the organizations that will inflict that change. That's where I'm at right now. There's a lot of kind of taking some steps back from being out in, in, as a speaker and going back in and, and really creator, like as a creator, as someone that's creating the world, um, the different templates, the platforms that will catch the world when it falls. Wow. Well, you know, I know Jay's got a question for you, and then we're going to bring Lila June in with you for a little bit. And so we're, you know, Jay, I just got to get a question in here for, with him for one quick second. Mm-hmm. I want to know, um, Chuteska, you know, hip-hop, you, you did something with Talib Kweli. You, you, you're going all over the world with your music. You're doing something with Isa now. Tell me. How does the the flow and the rhythm of the beat of the soul of the music that you have coming from you fit right on in with the climate and the work that you're doing? Hip-hop, if you look back at the, the, the roots of hip-hop, it's been just a melting pot of culture um, where the purpose of it was to give a voice to the voiceless, hope to the hopeless. Um, it's acted as a tool for uh, fighting for justice, representing our communities music brings people together in a way that nothing else does so when i'm when i'm on a stage when i'm making art when i'm collaborating with other artists it opens up the listeners to a whole other thing because now we're using a mainstream tool like hip-hop to teach the world about climate justice you know to teach the world about empowering our youth that's something that doesn't happen um on a regular basis within music culture so it's, it's shifting music culture and it's shifting like activism, like the culture of activism and the culture of creating change. Um, and it really empower. Like, but how is that? But she tells you how yeah, is yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. So like happening? when I get onto a stage, 
So when I get onto the stage and you're performing for, you know, 100, 500, 1,000, 5,000 people, the, what happens with the audience is they engage in the message in a different way than if I'm on stage giving a keynote speech, you know. So going in, and, and I've spent the last several years performing at music festivals with my band, with my crew, um, you know, playing shows, benefit concerts, and we're bridging the gap. We're bridging those two worlds together of, of consciousness of the world we want to create and the art. There are a lot of artists that are already doing it through the music and through the mediums, many different mediums. And art plays such a critical role. If you look back throughout history, people are singing songs of freedom when they're marching in the streets. People are singing songs of, of, of peace, you know, of, of anti-war, of, um, you know, all kinds of different movements that have happened. And if you look at the different eras of music, from Rage Against the Machine to John Lennon, people have used artwork to talk about the most important issues of our time. And now I'm doing the same thing when, through my music, talking about uplifting this generation and about climate justice. Well, wow. he's answered my question. You go right ahead. Whoa. Wow. Okay. Um, I want to ask you to define and explain, because I was, I was looking at some of your stuff. I would like you to define and, and explain the meaning of sacred earth. And what do you mean by that? Sacred earth. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's like a, a specific term that I've, used before or that I've heard, Sacred Earth. Um, I think the concept You you did when you were six years old. You did when you were six, and you were saying saying something like, a lot of the young people don't know how sacred this planet is. And I was trying to get... Now you're 17, so how do you look at it now? Definitely. No, the the concept of of seeing the Earth as a sacred entity is something that I've been talking about since I was six, since even before then my parents were teaching me. Um, I think the way that I can explain that to you is that my father is um, indigenous Mexica from, from Mexico City. Um, I, my perspective on the climate justice and environmental justice movement is one of, it's part of my heritage to protect the planet. It's part of my identity as an indigenous person, as a human being, it's part of my identity to, to fight to protect this land that we walk upon. Um, I was taught when I was growing up that the planet is, is that the earth is sacred. You know, I was taught that the all living things around us are sacred. Um, what that what that means is that there is kind of an energy among uh, the different living entities that we have a responsibility to defend and protect specifically because they give us life. There has to be a transaction that happens in nature where something like, you know, our forests, um, our food, our, our streams and our river and our waterways are giving us life in a variety of different oh. ways. So we must then return that to fight to protect those things are giving us life. It has to be cyclical. That's how nature thrives, and that's how, um, you know, we find diversity within systems is when there is a cyclical nature of how things are happening. So when we see the earth is sacred, it then becomes something that we have an innate uh, sense of wanting to protect and defend that because we see it as a part of us. We see ourselves as a part of it. Great answer. Oh, wow. Um, Chitoska, I'm sorry, go ahead, uh, Jay. Please go ahead. Oh, okay. No, no, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because, like, a lot of young people your age, they're not as deep. And you, 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 definitely, <laughs> you definitely answered that because everything is connected. Everything is connected. So what we do to our planet, if we're not careful, we could lose. And that's why I'm glad that you answered. That's all I want to say, Gil. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you very much. You know, 
You're right. Okay, so we have Lila June, and you know I love Lila June, and I love both of you, the, the work that you're doing with the hip-hop music industry. You know, Jay and I work with everyone from Katy Perry, uh, Beyonce's uh, uh, camp, all the way to the Gladys Knights, the, the Barry Whites, you know, the, just the, the hip-hop music industry and everything. So we've worked from the business side for a long time, and now we have creative works coming out, out now to benefit climate and things like that. I want to ask you something. We talk about ageism um, a lot, and then you've just written your book. Do you still think, you know, from when we met you three years ago, all right, do you still think, Chitesca, there is a huge divide between older and younger, or do you think that that divide is becoming closer together and working more together? Yeah, I think, I think the divide definitely needs to close. I think that our intergenerationality within the movement is one of the most powerful things we have, sharing wisdom from our elders and the inspiration and the energy uh, of the youth. Those two different perspectives, those two different worlds need to come together. You know, from my, my philosophy around the movement that I've, I've been fighting for and waste my whole life is, that young people have to be at the forefront of, of shaping our future because it is our future, you know, but we have to also include every generation in that process because everyone has a part to play. Um, I think there's still uh, an amount of division in this world between generations, between the elders, between the youth, um, and we need to close that gap. I think it's going to be very critical to close that gap. So you still think where is one of the places – that you see that it's still happening and very prevalent that might get in the way of us moving forward? Um, one thing that I see in, in this country, in the United States, that is very different in you know, Latin America, for, for instance, where, where my father and my, my, a lot of my family is from, is just kind of the divide between our elders and our youth. There isn't the same transaction of, of, of information, of knowledge, of stories, of identity, of culture in the same way that I've seen passed down in, um, you know, different families across Latin America where, like, I think, I think a huge part of that, too, is that in this country, a lot of times, you know, we'll, we grow up, we move out of our parents' house, uh, we go and we go to college, we get our own careers and our own jobs, we buy our own house, we have our own families, and once our parents are too old to take care of themselves, they end up in a... In a you know, in an old folks' home, you know, in assisted living facilities. I think that in itself creates a certain sense of disconnection between our generation, mm -hmm. adults even, and, and youth and their elders. Whereas, you know, family, many families in Mexico, my family specifically, um, our grandma, well, like all of our family still lives with our grandparents, and, and we take care of our grandparents in the same way that they took care of us. That's kind of a philosophy. That, and the way that our parents took care of us, when they can no longer take care of themselves, we must return that favor. It's that same kind of notion of, of of having a cycle and having things um, returning the energy and returning um, what was once given to us. So I see that, you know, as, as just generally part of what's perpetuating a disconnection in this nation between our youth and between our elders. I think if we listen more, we were more present with the older generation, we would have more wisdom and more knowledge as a younger generation for where things need to go, learning from our past. And then also teaching, because there's a lot of elders and older people in this country that are very stuck in different mindsets like homophobia and racism and sexism. And, um, yeah, that, that then young people, the younger generation has to teach. That is so, wow, that's wonderful. Um, that is so strong, you know, because I'm, I'm caretaking my mom and Gail has done the same. And it's very important that we respect, you know, 
our tribes and, and the elders of the tribe. And that's the, that is a problem in America. We just put the older people, I hate to say it, but we kind of put them away, you know, opposed to letting them be part of our family for their entire lifetime span. And um, I'm glad that you think like that. I wish more young people would think like that. And um, wow, it's just great. And uh, now you just gave me energy, and now I'm going to do better work for my mom because of what you said. Then I'm going to do a great job. Hey. If you can do it at 17, I need to be keep doing this thing. So now I feel a lot better. You made my day. <laughs> and that's really the truth. So I wanted to ask well, you. Know, you oh, I, I, okay, let me just get this thing. I wanted to ask you this. What are some of the changes you would like to see in our legislation and our new climate laws? Wow. Um, I think, first of all, just have the current administration stop dismantling the existing ones. Um, <laughs> from pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords to rolling back regulations on fossil fuel companies, there's just been a lot done to reverse progress that has been made. Um, there's kind of an open uh, – there's a lot of ideals within our, our current presidency that we have to pursue a dying coal industry to employ America. Um, I think our, I think creating the, and drawing the lines between the health of our planet, the health of our economies, of our cities, of our nations is really important. Um, I can talk about um, justice and I can talk about protecting the earth and protecting nature and, and seeing us all as one and all connected um, for my whole life and really leave out a huge demographic of people that could be listening that don't care about that, that aspect. But I think really important, too, is to acknowledge the economics, the politics of, of the future of our planet, because, you know, the solution isn't just to all go live in the bushes and, you know, not have energy. Like, we, we want to continue to, to thrive and evolve and grow our technologies, our economies, our, our, our cities in a way that is in balance, and it can happen. Um, so I think for, for, for existing climate policy in this nation, we have to rigorously pursue renewable energies, not just for the state of the planet, not just for the survival of future generations, but also because fossil fuels isn't going to be an economically viable source of income or jobs near the future. Um, a lot of the easy-to-get fossil fuels are gone, meaning that we have to use more technology and more machinery to get the, 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 the fossil fuels that are deeper in the earth, meaning that machines and robots are doing jobs that humans used to do. You know, a coal miner that's going into a mountain to, to extract coal is very different than, than mountaintop removal where they blow up the tops of the mountains. You know, so, so there's Whereas if you look at a, a renewable energy industry, how many more times, how many more people are being employed by renewables is just insane. Like the renewable energy mm. industry employs far more people than the fossil fuel sector, even though it's only like 13% of our energy in this nation. We're already employing more people. You look at the economic benefits and the economic growth, different countries all over the world have seen by pursuing renewable energies, Eastern Europe, uh, Germany, Sweden, France, um, Iceland, their economies are growing and they are pursuing renewable energy. It goes hand in hand. It's not either either going to have a healthy planet or a healthy economy. They go hand in hand. So I think the future of energy of, of climate policy has to focus on an economic uh, perspective of the future of energy, um, as well as considering the planet. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, what I'm going to do, Shatesco, we have a surprise guest for you, well-known person who wants to say hello to you. But before we do that no, and bring him on. We're gonna we're gonna bring Lila June on, who you know well. Awesome. Hey, Lila, how you doing? 
Hello, my friends. Yat Ebene. Good morning. Yat Ebene is well to you. I don't know if we pronounced that right. Please meet Jay Logan. Jay Logan, this is Lila June. Hello. How are you? Doing well, my friends. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. The power of having both of you on. See, for us, this show, and Chitesca knows this about us, for us, Lila, having you and Chitesca on is, is very critical to the healing of the planet on a whole other level that we hope that our audience will gain. You both are indigenous to this community. You both are one with the earth. You both meditate with the earth. You both understand what's going on with the earth. We've got fires in Portugal. We've got fires in places that have never happened. We have storms that are happening in San Francisco like never before. We have floods that are in Bangladesh all the way over here to Texas, and it could happen in Florida and even up the eastern seaboard. I want to ask you something. We talk about displacement from this country like it's only happening in in those countries in Southeast Asia or somewhere over in the Amazon where we've now in Brazil chosen to suddenly dig in the middle of the Amazon with the ecological, uh, uh, destroying the ecological area there and tribes that are normally living there away from the public view. I want to ask you, what is Earth Mother trying to say to us? What is it? Can we even heal the planet, even if we step up right now and t- take the uh, necessary actions, each one of us, in our homes every day, at renewable energy, as Shikaska was just talking about? We'd like to know from you two young people from the indigenous community how it's destroying the indigenous community and what is it that we're not seeing as a, as a country, as uh, a world, uh, our world governments, while we're doing all of this, what is it we're not doing? Specifically, go in on with, with us and let us know what we need to really take on, not just from a governmental level, but what we're not seeing. Well, um, first of all, I'd just like to say that I'm so grateful to be on here with my brother, Shatescott, and I'm really proud of him mm. and all the work he's doing. I'm really grateful to be a comrade of his on this journey um, toward service for the next seven generations and beyond. Um just so grateful for you, brother. Um I guess Love you, Lila. that's a yeah, that's a lot of different questions you ask, Gail, but I think the one I wanna address is um what is Mother Earth telling us? And um <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot about that. <clears throat> and um it brings me back to Chaco. Chaco Canyon. I I'm a Dene woman of the Nanishtejitrachitni clan, and we're indigenous to the um, what's now called New Mexico and Arizona, Utah and Colorado. And Chaco Canyon um, is the birthplace of a lot of the tribes over here. And um, it's a very uh, interesting place that a lot of archaeologists pay attention to because it looks the most like their cities and it looks the most like their societies, so they, they notice it. Um, and so Chaco Canyon collapsed at a certain point. Um, and there's a lot of question about why it collapsed. But our, our oral history has, a, has an understanding of Chaco that Chaco um, was a beautiful place, but over time it began to deviate from the path of righteousness and the path of life, uh, where they developed um, caste systems 
where there was virtual slaves working to uh, appease the, the spiritual hierarchy. Um, and they also started to develop um, uh, manipulation of nature. They had running water. They had uh, really intensive agriculture. Um, and they started to live in a way that was not in accordance with the pollen path, with the path of the corn pollen, the path of life. And so we say that creators sent them a gift um, to give them the courage to change. And that gift was a drought. And um, they also say that the young people of Chaco decided they didn't want to be slaves anymore. And so they created, a, a, along with that drought, they created a movement towards a different way of life. And so we abandoned that place and we learned in the crucible of that place and we learned what doesn't work. And so <clears throat> you may see that drought as, as a, as a bad thing, but our elders tell us it was indeed a gift. It was a gift to help us have the courage to change. And I feel it very much so that when we start to fancy ourselves as masters of nature, instead of children of nature, we are already stepping outside of that path of, of honor and, and sustainability. And so the earth is gently reminding us that we are not her master. We are her children. And this is not a punishment. I don't believe in the sort of uh, punishing God theory. I believe it's actually a gift. And the only thing, because people have been saying for decades and centuries, this is not sustainable, this is not sustainable, and no one seems to understand or listen this is the only thing to help us understand that what we're doing is not sustainable. Not only the way that we treat the earth, but the way that we treat each other, the way that we create hierarchies, the way that we create caste systems, classes. This is not creator's way. Creator's way is, is equality. Creator's way is kindness. Creator's way is cooperation. And so in this way, I think that the earth is helping us to, to, to get back on the pollen path. And, and humbling so-called civilization. And John Trudell has said that the great lie is that this is civilization, when really this is the most bloodthirsty, savage system ever to be created on the earth. So the great lie is that this is civilization. And then he said, or if this is civilization, then the great lie is that we need civilization. And I think a lot of what I'm trying to advocate is to return to those highly sophisticated and highly advanced indigenous systems that were um, very kind to the earth and did not manipulate or destroy the earth, but rather honored the earth and tried to go in line with what creator had made. Mountaintop removal, literally destroying what creator has made, that has consequences. And those consequences are being shown now, not as a punishment, but as a reminder that this is not living in our truth as children of the earth. Well, you know, I want to I want to thank you for that because I, I have a question for Chitesca on this as well. When we see when when you talk about it's not a punishment, I can really relate to that because I don't think it is a punishment. I think it's just to remind us that look at what you're doing. Now, something has happened with these these past storms where Chitesca the they're seeing that the actual waterways, our waterways from the beach, people are seeing that water, this storm took water from literally 
where the beach is all the way down to 50 feet within the ocean floor, that the water is no longer there. They're picking up starfish. They're picking up coral. They're picking up all kinds of things that would not normally be accessible to someone just walking in the water. Can I ask you both, why, what is going on with our, our system, maybe our weather system or whatever, that now has oceans being removed from their ocean bed? I mean, that this is actually happening off the coast of Florida and also in the Caribbean and places where the storm has been. What is actually causing this? And will, will we, do you, uh, you know, both of you, I know, study in different ways, will we continue to see this happening where our water is being removed from our ocean bed during storms? Yeah, we're at a pretty hectic point in time right now where we're seeing things like that that I don't think I've ever seen before. Different scientists that were looking at it never saw it before and literally – the storm surge of the Hurricane Irma was so fat that it took to create the massive walls of water that it pulled, it like dried out parts of the Bahamas. You know, it was just crazy when I saw that. Um, we are in, in an era where an entire ecosystem is, is, is dying, where climate change is killing an entire ecosystem. That ecosystem is the coral reefs. Um, it, off the, and and the, the biggest living organism on Earth is the Great Barrier Reef off the coast of Australia. And I think 30% of it died over the last summer. Um, and, and we are seeing more and more bleaching events where these coral reefs are, are dying because of warming temperatures in our ocean. Um, climate change is having a devastating impact on our world where we are having less and less ice in the North Pole every single year. Um, our Arctic ice sheet is, is melting at a rapid rate. Sea levels are rising. Ocean water temperatures are warming. And warmer ocean temperatures make it so that it really propels storms and hurricanes and tropical storms. Um, it intensifies, increases the frequency and the severity of these storms. So where things like hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, droughts, those are all naturally occurring things that happen in nature, we are now seeing them at a more intense rate than ever before. Um, so where climate change may have not created Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, um, there the presence of more carbon in our atmosphere, the presence of more, more heat in our ocean, of a warming ocean, um, of, of changing weather patterns, that has had an impact on intensifying these storms massively. So we can definitely expect this for the next several years. Even if we cut all greenhouse gas emissions, we will continue to see escalating impacts for the next 40 years. So we have to do a lot more than just cut our greenhouse gas uh, uh, release. You know, it has to be a lot of sequestration. We have to reforest the planet. We have to pull carbon out of the atmosphere and into our soil by practicing organic, uh, organic agriculture, um, you know, far, farming um, in, in a way that doesn't use chemicals or pesticides um, to feed our communities as to restore their soil, to restore the carbon back into the soil. So we have a really crazy, hectic uphill battle ahead of us. But um, there's hope. There's time. Not a lot of it. But I'm going to give us another five to ten years to figure things out. And after that, I don't know. I don't know if things are going to be reversible. Um, it's also, are we going to be prepared? Because more and more effect, like damages to our environment are going to be happening all over the place, from fires across the Western United, United States, Los Angeles, Montana, Oregon, to um, flooding and hurricanes in, in the South. And wow, it's heavy. It's real. It's present. And um, now more than ever, we need to take action. I want to ask both of you guys, uh, Lila and Shetessa. Uh, is this the way that our planet is doing maintenance with all these storms and all these different climate changes and earthquakes and 
Uh, out here, I was telling Gail earlier, we had like lightning storms. I've never, and I was telling Gail this morning, I've never seen this many lightning storms here out in San Francisco. You know, we don't usually have them. I used to stay in South Dakota, and that was normal, but this this is not the norm. So is this, do you guys think this is the way that our planet is maintenance for the planet by reacting to all the things that man has done? Um, <clears throat> I think that's a pretty big question. Um, and, <clears throat> again, I don't know if it's um, done in a... <laughs> in a spiteful way, but I've noticed that um, the way that, that a culture treats women is oftentimes the way that a culture treats the earth and vice versa. Um, if, if a culture mm. views women as an object to be owned, um, then they oftentimes view the, the earth as an object to be owned. If a culture measures their uh, if a man measures his worth in the culture by how many women he can sleep with uh or how many women he can own then he oftentimes measures his worth by how much earth he can own and how much earth he can have um and so uh, if a man or if the men in a in a in a society view the earth as a as a emotionless being or rather a woman as an emotionless object that that they can own and and they think of their needs and wants before her needs and wants, then oftentimes they view the earth as an emotionless, inanimate object and, and think of their needs and wants instead of the earth's needs and wants. And so I think the earth, in a way, is reminding us she's a living being. She has feelings. She has needs. She has wants. She She's not dead. She's alive. She has consciousness. She has um, she has goals. She has objectives of her own. She has agendas of her own, and that agenda obviously is to sustain life and to give life. And so, to me, these storms do make people question their entire paradigm. Make people question the the earth as a as a dead object. Um, but to have all these things, <clears throat> excuse me, happen so so um, condensed and concentrated together, the fires, the storms, the earthquakes, everything, it, it makes the society start to question if it is coincidence that all of these things are being un- unleashed at the same time. Or if there is a consciousness of the earth and that she does have a life and she does have a message. And I feel that she, she is alive and she does have feelings and she is Again, I don't I don't want to get into the whole oh she's punishing us, but again, these are in a, in a in a long run I view these things as gifts to wake us up because nothing has worked to wake us up. Nothing no amount wow. of hopey prophecies, no amount of understandings of climate science, no amount of any of these things is helping us to wake up. And so just as if you're a predator and you, uh, you womanize and you get as many women as you can all the time, and then ultimately you have a, a consequence, you know, maybe you get blasted on Facebook or maybe, you know, your community starts to in a, kind of approach you and tell you that consequence brings you back to being an honorable man, an honorable man who sees women as something to commit to, something to be kind to, something to think about their feelings. Similarly, we are getting these consequences that are helping us return to being honorable people. 
And that's my view on it. I have a strong feeling many people would contend with that view, but I feel that she is a living being and she is trying to tell us something. And maintenance, I don't know, it's an interesting way to say it. I think that we have to ultimately respond to this and that will be when the the healing happens and and uh, the fact that, you know, Trump's state where he has his Mar-a-Lago is being impacted you know, might help him see, wow, I, I'm not separate from the earth. I'm not going to get away scot-free from this. I am an integral part of an earth that's falling apart. Maybe I should take care of it because ultimately I'm taking care of myself too. These are all wake-up calls that I think we desperately need. Well, guys, I have a, a surprise for you both that someone who's on with me now that Chateska has met before and now seen him many times. We have Kwaku Mandela on the phone right now. We want to introduce to the audience. I asked Kwaku to surprise you, Shiteska and Lila. So, Kwaku Mandela, here we are with the rest of our audience, and you can say hello, sir. How are you, bud? Kwaku, we can't hear you too well. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. Great, but I, I said hello to, to both of you. Thank you, Dale, for having me on. Oh, no problem. So, Shatesco, we got Kwaku on. That was our surprise for you. Amazing. Wonderful to hear your voice, brother. You too, man. You've been doing amazing things over the past year, so I'm, I'm really excited for you. And, Kwaku, uh, we want you to meet L- We wanted you to meet Lila June Johnston, a good friend of uh, Shatesca and a hip-hop artist in her own right, a poet, an educator, doing a lot of the same work in other areas of work for the community and the indigenous community as well. Lila, please meet Kwaku Mandela, the uh, grandson of Nelson Mandela. Hey, Lila. Very very honored to meet you. Thank you. So, Kwaku, we know we can't keep you long, but since we have you, Shatesca, and Lila on the phone. We want to ask you, you know, recently there's been a lot going on, you know, from racism to everything. And all three of you, indirectly or directly, are in music, okay? We want to ask you how conscious, you know, just we already know what music does for the world. But so, so specifically, how do three of you feel that music can bring people together, uh, of all races, all cultures, and all ages to make a difference with the sustainable development goals that, you know, from ending poverty, zero hunger, to good health and well-being and mental health and quality education. How can music bridge the gap across cultures, bottom line, and across ages? Going in and out a little bit, uh, Quaker. We missed that last one. 
what happened. Uh, there's clearly a huge amount of influence that you know artists and filmmakers can bear in raising money and raising awareness around important issues. The question is how far, how active uh, does that community want to be doing this on a daily basis? Um, and looking at pop culture right now, we have to look at you know the messaging of, of a lot of music, right? Is it actually um, and, and could a better job be done? And I think that's up to you know people like Lila who are the future um, of music to kind of make that decision. So, Kwaku, uh, I, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but if your grandfather were alive right now, seeing what's happening around the world, you know, and and seeing what's going on even with climate and so forth, what do you think? What do you think his words would be right now? You know, I, I think my grandfather said in, in 2008, you know, when he was kind of made his last parents. Uh, at a concert, you know, he said our hands within the next generation hands. He, you know, he did as much as he could to, um, you know, obviously lead South Africa out of apartheid and into uh, the fight for core issues, whether that be ending extreme poverty, whether that be AIDS, whether that be community and nation building. Uh, it was up to us. Torch uh, and decide where we were going to take it, and so I think he would say that, you know, that hasn't changed. Um, people are still at the center of how our world's affected and how our world's impacted. It's just all too often, you know, we get caught up in our, and we forget, you know, the power that our voices have. We forget the power that we're actually. You know. Okay. Well, Kwaku, we really we know that you're running, and we thank you for being on. If you want to stay on with us a few more seconds, feel free to. And, you know, Lila June and Shiteska, please rein in on that question. How do you think your music is really going to impact generations right now across all generations, and how do you think it's going to uh, 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 impact all cultures as well in coming together? I think that... Uh, um, when you're when you're a child and you go to school, you know they teach you lessons through song. They teach you your ABCs. They teach you various um, rhymes that help you to remember the the principles of certain formulas and what have you. And so, similarly, music helps. It's a teaching tool. It helps us to teach the children. Helps us to teach everyone uh, about certain principles that help us to live. And if you listen to a lot of the old songs, um, particularly of various tribes in the north I'm thinking of, a lot of the songs talk about how we want to live with our people. And if we do this X, Y, and Z, we will live with our people. Me, me is a very common word in those songs. To live, mini wichoni, you know, the life. And so when you have these principles that you need just to simply live, to live with your people is a, is a great and beautiful honor. And to be able to enjoy this breath and this sight and this feeling of being alive with your people is, is a great gift and an enormous gift that sometimes we forget is a gift. 
And so there's these principles that we live by in order to ensure that gift, not just for us, but for the animals, for our children, for our great-great-great-great-grandchildren. And so the music, the songs, the hip-hop, these things help to inculcate these values, inculcate these principles, help the children to understand who they are and their place in the world, and give them something that makes them feel good. And so um, when when I publish some of my songs, I hear all these young girls and young boys coming up to me saying, you know, I, I blast that on my way to school and I, I sing it in the car all the way. And and it makes me happy that these children have an anthem to to live by, and a, a, a compass to be guided by. And so that's simply what I what I see our music doing is it's giving people uh, education, an understanding that can help them to simply live with their people. And the principles aren't that hard; they're not that they're not that complicated. Um, and so, but and yet our society has completely forgotten them. You know, what are the principles? Honor the woman, honor the womb, honor the earth, and do not destroy what creator has made. You know, if you can just do those things, you're going to be good. And so getting those principles out there through music helps people to digest it better, helps people to remember it better, and helps people to bring it into not only their mind but into their bodies through the music and through the muscle memory that it takes to sing these songs. So with that, I, I'd say that music is a is a very effective teaching tool. I have a, a question for both of you, Tessa and Lila. Okay, music, I'm a musician. So music is vibrations. And, you know, you can't see music, but you can feel it. You can't touch it, but you can hear it. So music is a spirituality type of thing also, and it comes from whatever, the forefathers. It's been here since the beginning. My question is, what made both of you guys want to be the voice for our planet? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think part of what – I went back to Mexico for the first time in years in November. Um, reconnecting with my roots, doing a ceremony every single day. Um, learning about the philosophy and, and my ancestry um, of, of my people, the Mexica people. And what I learned, one of the biggest things that I took away from that trip is that I always had kind of an understanding that part of what made me want to be a voice for the earth and protect the planet was my identity as an indigenous person. That, that Part of what defined me as an indigenous person was that want to protect the, the earth to, to defend nature. And when I went back home, um, I woke up to the reality that it wasn't just part of my indigenous um, identity, but also just a part of my humanity. Um, because I realized that that transcended indigeneity, uh, an, ur- an urge and a sense of responsibility to protect the earth transcends um, being indigenous, you know. That it is part of, of all of us, and all of us are human, and even if we're not all connected to it, it's there. Uh, an understanding that we must fight to protect the earth, our planet, nature, to be a voice, to be a beacon of hope, to be a leader, to be a warrior, to be a water protector. And that is an innate part of our existence as human beings, not just as an indigenous person. Um, so I think it is innate within my own humanity to want to be a voice for the earth. 
Your thoughts, Lila, oh. on why uh, you did What's that? Sorry? No, no. Your thoughts on, you know, what made you become the voice, you know, want to use your voice to make a difference with this planet? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that um, every human being has a gift. Every human being was was given a gift or gifts to exercise in the name of healing. And um, and a lot of people are searching for this gift. A lot of people, but if you if you watch the child and you watch how they naturally develop and the things they gravitate towards, you as a parent can start to identify what that gift is and make sure to give them the chance to develop it if they want to. And so in the Mohawk tradition, they give the children their names, and they say that the names tie the spirit to the earth. They, they anchor the spirit to the earth because it gives the spirit purpose because the name describes what this child's gift is to the world. And if that child knows their name, if that child knows who they are and, and, and part of their purpose on earth, then they want to be here and their spirit is anchored. And so for a long time I struggled with drugs and alcohol and for a long time I, uh, being in those, those uh, spaces, also experienced a lot of physical abuse that women go through when they're uh, taken advantage of, when they're drunk and what have you. And so I, I had very little self-esteem um, by the time I got out into college and going through college. and I've, I didn't like myself very much, to be honest. And, um, and at a certain point, the ancestors came and they gave me my name. And they helped me to understand that part of my gift is, is as a speaker. And I'm a word person. And, and that this gift... To speak, um, I can use to leverage uh, to, to help people and to be a servant to humanity, to be a servant to the earth. And so this voice, you know, is part of my purpose. And that anchored my spirit to the earth. It helped me want to be here again. It helped me see that I do have a part to play. I do have a role. And that made me feel good about myself. You know, and so... Some kids aren't speakers. Maybe they're painters. I know for sure I can't paint worth anything. (laughs) I'm not not a painter. You know, that's not my gift, not my role here. Some people are um, construction people. They're good at architecture. Some people are have all these different skills, media, uh, photography. Some people have skills like you have of getting messages out there and organizing people. You know, so all these gifts, I believe, are, are designed to, to, for us to leverage towards, towards that healing. And if we can discover those gifts, then we can find that sweet spot of, of living this life in a fulfilling, enjoyable, and effective way. And so I just happen to be one of – my gift just happens to be speaking. And I know that Creator gave me special abilities to do that. And and it's not that I'm better than anyone else or anything like that, but that's the language, just like my brother Shutezkat was given this gift. We call them wind carriers. They carry the wind. They carry the speech. They carry the song. They carry the message. And these have existed throughout cultures throughout the world. In Scotland, they were called the bards. They were the speakers, the storytellers, the holders of lessons, the holders of of history. And when the British came to kill the Scottish, they 
killed the bards first and they buried them face down so that their stories would die with them. And so the, the role of the bard, the role of the speaker, the role of the wind carrier is very important. And, it's, and, and cultures across the world have, have noticed this. So uh, it's an honor to be a wind carrier and to speak on behalf of healing. And I'm grateful that there's so many of us, too, because there's a lot to talk about and a lot of people to educate. So I'm grateful to be one wind carrier among many. And um, and that's I think it was just kind of what I was designed to do, I guess. I We have two more questions for both of you, and that's it. And, Chateska, I want to ask you this um, specifically first. You know, Lila June, I'm, I'm a woman. Lila June's a woman. You know, there's LGBT. You know, there is transgender. There's so much. There's so many different things that we categorize each other as rather than human beings, okay? You know, um, I'm, I'm married. Jay's married. Um, you know, everyone has a different, you know, orientation that they want to be to. I want to ask you, as a young man who's traveling who's traveling up this indus- this music industry. One, how do you stay grounded? And number two, what do you see about women in this industry of how they have it in the music industry for themselves? So one, how do you stay grounded in the music industry as a person so that you keep all the things that you're up to in perspective? And two, how do you see women staying grounded in the music industry to keep, you know, their own perspective or to keep what they want to do? Do you feel they have a hard time? You know, so would would you answer those two questions if you wouldn't mind? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Staying grounded in the music industry is massively important. I've spent the last year really heavily getting involved in art and music, uh, working with, with producers and engineers, um, different managers and, and agencies and, and record labels and kind of in and out of that whole world in LA all the time. Uh, working on recording, making music, collaborating with big artists, dealing with their management. Um, you got to stay humble. You know, that's something that people have been telling me since I was a little kid. Uh, through the speeches and through the speaking I'm doing and, and, and through this music now, you know, really staying humble, staying connected to what it is that I'm doing. Um, there's, uh, yeah, and especially hip-hop is like a very egocentric um, community, I feel like. And a lot of hip-hop artists are very driven by materialistic things find that the value in the world and, and the materialism. So kind of breaking free from that and finding my own place. Um, and it's hard. Sometimes you want to, you know, write fat tracks and flex about your skill and, and, and you know, what your flow and stuff. But, yeah, really staying grounded in, in your purpose. Uh, for me, it's really staying grounded in ceremony as well. Every time I come home after touring or traveling, um, straight into ceremony with, with my family, with my father. Um and yeah, really making sure that I'm always with with every step that I take in this journey to to remember what it is that I'm walking towards and who it is that I'm representing, whose voices am I carrying with me, whose whose hearts, whose passion am I carrying with me in my journey. Um, and you know, as a young man, that's that's super important in the world to be to be a, a strong role model for other young men out there and how to carry themselves and how to respect and treat women. You know, I feel like our women have such a critical role to play in, in, the, in the evolution, well, in, in, in fighting for change and protecting our planet. Because as their mothers, they relate to the pain of the earth more than anybody, you know. And I think that 
we have to really respect the, the, the feminine presence and the feminine energy. I was I I love 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 to see the empowerment of of uh, women in hip hop, women in the music industry. You know, and I'm saying like empowered badass, like incredibly talented women. Lila June is one of them. Rhapsody, um, Anna Tiju, who is who's from South America. Um, Little Sims, who's who's one of my favorite rappers from from England. These are these these women that are really strong with their message with with their rhymes, with their flow, that aren't selling sex, you know, because a, a lot of women are are put in a position where even through music, you know, they're still, like, selling sex. And, and that's how, like, from, you know, Nicki Minaj to Iggy Azalea to a lot of the mainstream uh, female uh, characters in hip-hop. So I, I, I love the, the people that step outside of those boundaries and, and really empowering those women and, and, and all young women that are getting involved in that to, to empower them to, to, you know, get involved in, in this in this art form in a way that is that is um uplifting to to their spirits and not just um superficial you know so there's there's a lot i think it's more difficult definitely for women to navigate the music industry and um there's still a lot of sexism and and injustice that happens within music towards our women so we have to to work to heal those wounds as well interesting very interesting um and lila my question for you is being a, a a poet and someone who's been aligned with hip-hop as well, have you found it difficult for you in the industry as well as a woman? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Um, I think I live in sort of like a weird bubble, though, where, like, I just don't think about uh, the sexism that exists. I just exist from my heart and from my soul, and I could, I just don't think about what other people are doing. Uh, I just... I just try to speak from my prayer, from my spirit, from my heart, and I try to have everything come from that source. And if people like it, great. If they don't, I don't care. This is my truth. This is what I have to say to be in connection with my creator, in connection with my womb, in connection with my heart. Um, Being a woman, I guess, in, in general, in society is hard. I mean, I get catcalled every every week at least. I have people trying to uh, make advances on me all the time. It's, it's very difficult. Uh, I've been raped more times than I can remember because a lot of times it happened when I was uh, blackout or something. So I, I've been through a lot as a woman, that's for sure. Um, and yet I know that all those things that happened to me when I was younger, like they don't change me, you know. They don't phase me because at the end of the day, I'm still just as sacred as I was before they did those things to me. And, you know, someone can be bad to your body, but that doesn't make me bad, you know. And it took me a long time to to learn that. And for a long time, I was even ashamed to say I had been through what I had been through because I thought it was my fault. Like, oh, I should have said no louder. I should have locked the door. I shouldn't have drank that night. I shouldn't have let him do that, blah, 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 blah. I always found a way to make it my fault. But I got some teachers along the way who really helped me understand that there's nothing that this world can do to your body to make you unsacred and that you are always precious in creator's eyes and that you are always loved and appreciated and wanted in creator's army and that to not let that rape trick you. Because a lot of times what happens is we experience that and we think it's our fault and then we don't think we're worthy of doing anything. I'm not worthy of speaking creator's message. I'm a tainted woman. I'm not worthy of doing what 
creator made me to do. I'm a I'm a I'm a foolish woman or I'm an unvirtuous woman and to not let that trick take root inside of you but to take that root out and say I am a I'm a beautiful, precious woman and all the world is at a war against my body because it knows if it can destroy the women, it destroys the root of life. And if you destroy it, like the Cree have a saying that says, a nation is not defeated until the hearts of the women are on the ground. And so you know, they know, and that's been a military tactic for eons, you know, rape the women, destroy the women, you'll take out the whole society. Because you don't just make the women feel bad, you make the men feel bad who love them. Like, oh, I failed to protect my women, I'm such a bad man, da-da-da-da-da. And it just makes everyone feel bad. It makes everyone feel wow. like they failed. But we haven't failed. If you get if you get like whacked with a bat on the side of the head, that don't mean you're bad. <laughs> I mean the person who whacked you is bad. Like you nothing you did wrong. You're good. You're, the men are good, the women are good. And so to shed that trickery is very, very important, especially for marginalized communities that get targeted in that way. And so as a woman in the in I don't think I'm in the music industry. I don't like the capitalism mixed with music, I'm like not, I'm not into that. Uh, I'm very grassroots, I guess you could say. I'm into like um, uh, just just speaking from my heart uh, in a, I don't know, I, it's hard to explain. I haven't thought about how to articulate this, but uh, but I think that in the music world, I guess, where I perform at least every weekend somewhere or on tour somehow, that I get to... Um, I get to leverage my experience as a woman to help other women. I don't know how many times I've told my story on stage of the drugs, of the rape, of everything I've been through, and everything that creator and different messengers have helped me overcome to help me love myself again and to help me forgive the people who did that to me, to help me to live strong again. And how many women have been through the same thing and how many men have been through the same thing. And then through that music and being a woman in the music world, I get to help a lot of women recover from that and to say, you know what, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person and I can pick up this torch that creator gave me and walk out into the fields of sorrow again. I can do that. I can be that warrior. And so if anything, being a woman in the music world is is more fun for me these days because I get to bring these messages out and help so many women to to see their beauty and their innocence again too, um, and not just the women, but the men too. Are, I love our men, and they have so much beauty and so much to heal from, and and to help them heal too, just by standing there strong in my truth. That helps them feel good too, because they say, "Okay, the women are good. You know, we're doing our job, so to speak," and that helps them feel good too. So it's 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 healing for everyone. Lila, all I can say is you just brought a, a beautiful message. You and Chateska just brought brought it right on home together. So I know Jay is going to give you the last question, and then we're done. And I just want to say thank you to both of you. And Chateska, I hope we did surprise you a little bit with uh, Kwaku. Yes, yes. Um, my last question is what do you envision and what can you see in the future of our planet, and what are your dreams, what the world would be if it was the most spectacular planet in the universe? Clean water for everybody, good education, equality for all people, regardless of their age, race, sexual orientation, gender, 
Um, wow. Wow. Uh, open spaces for, <laughs> wow. for young people to express themselves. Streets filled with art and music constantly. People growing their own food, eating healthy. Um, yeah, wow. People feeling represented and, and, and empowered. Oh, man. And, 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 and Lila? Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a big question, isn't it? Um, I would like to see us, uh, I would like to see, um, architecture, food, clothing, and all the basic necessities of life, uh, generated in a way that doesn't destroy the environment around us. Uh, and that to me entails returning to indigenous life ways. Um, me and my crew, we just built a hogan near our Eastern Sacred Mountain, which is a, it's a, it's a house. It's an it's a traditional Diné house that our people have been building for thousands of years. And to see how we can build this structure without using any toxic materials, to see how it's cool in the summer and warm in the winter, to see how it brought the community together, to see how each pole in the architecture wow. represents some principle of life, reminds me of how sophisticated our indigenous ancestors were and to really... Honestly, like, when I think about your question of the future, what I want to see, I want to see the mythology of, of, of civ- civilized versus savage completely debunked and the, the, the oh. sophistication and the advanced abilities of indigenous cultures to thrive in, in highly organized and complex societal structures that manage the land extensively in ways that increase the biodiversity of the land brought to its proper place in history and brought to its proper place in human consciousness as an incredibly advanced system that it is and not like this um, devolution or, or going back to the dark ages or the stone age or whatever people think that Native Americans are but really seeing how our systems were incredibly advanced and that this system, this system that eats the umbilical cord of, of its own life source that that is primitive. That living in a toxic box is primitive. Yes. Shipping your clothes around the world and, and forcing child sweatshop labor in Vietnam just to wear clothes is primitive. And to show that we don't have to be primitive anymore. We can be truly civilized by going back to these life ways that honor the earth and honor each other. Thank wow. you. Well, before before we go, there's one thing. Shatesta, are you? Are you, do we still have you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Yes. So, Shatesta, can you tell people where they can find your book and where they can find to buy your music and uh, yes. whatever message you want to leave the audience with? Please tell us. And then, Lila June, we'd like you to do the same, please. Uh, hit me up. I just released a book called We Rise, looking at the structure of where the world is at currently, and it's a call to action. Every chapter is um, is looking at the solutions of where we are right now to organize and give people the tools to shape the future that we want and we deserve. So We Rise is available on my website, shootenscott.com. And um, that also you, on that same website, you can find my music. I just released the first single off of my upcoming debut album, Break Free. I'll be releasing another single this month and another one in the following months until the album drops in December, January. So definitely keep your eyes and ears open for that. Um, more than anything, empower each other, drink lots of water, 
stay healthy, take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of your community, make sacrifices so that future generations have a planet to live upon. Um, yeah, fight for what you believe in, do what you love, do what makes you happy, and uh, keep it real. Well, we like we thank you for being on here and keeping it real as well. So thanks a lot, Chitaka. <laughs> and Lila June, where can they find you at as well? Well, um, the book that um, I published is actually just out. It's called Lifting Hearts Off the Ground, and it's uh, the, dec- uh, the United Nations Declaration of Indigenous Rights, of, um, of the rights of indigenous peoples, rather, uh, UNDRIP, in, in poetic form. So there's 43 articles of the UNDRIP, and so there's 43 poems to go along with every article of the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And so, um, you know, that just came out, and it's it's actually called Lifting Hearts Off the Ground. And it was pub- published in cooperation with a Canadian group up north, and it's at commonword.ca. Um, so that's where you can get the book. Um, and also, I just my website is sodizin, S-O-D-I-Z-I-N.net. Um, I have Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Lila June, L-Y-L-A-J-U-N-E. Um, and, and all these things exist just to help help more people, you know, get the messages out that heal uh, more people. So that's just what I view these social media and these books as, is just more tools, more medicine, more salves, more balms to heal the hearts of our people. So uh, I guess the parting words would just be thank you, Shitezka, uh, for all you do so grateful that you're in my life and grateful for all you're doing. I'm here for you as your, as your, eh, you know, your family, as your sister. And thank you um, both of, to the moderators of this, the hosts. Thank you so much for having me. And I guess I would just say that, you know, I hope you all have a beautiful day. And honestly, my deepest message is to love yourself and to heal yourself. Mm. Cause the more you can love yourself and the more you can heal the things you feel ashamed of, the more the more of a powerhouse you can become for creator is has a hard time working through things that hate themselves <laughs> so mm. so love yourself Ooh. so that creator can work through you more fully and more fluently in this time and let's find a way to love each other as well so love you too brother thanks i have the message for you you are going to do great things in the world all right, mm-hmm. and um, this is a message between me and you is one-to-one. You're going to do great things with this world. Let nothing take you off your path. Keep being unstoppable, and excuse my expression, the badass you have been, and let nothing, nothing get in your way. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you. So from my, from my heart, no problem, from my heart to your heart, please tell your mother that I said hello and um, But just remember that because you will get challenged in the coming months with your work. Just keep it going and let nothing. Keep your feet solidly on the ground and nothing is to get in your way. You know I will. I know you will. All right, everybody. Thank peace out so and thank Talk you for being on the show. Peace. All right. Thank you. Goodbye.